Hello, James. Hello, Jack. Yeah, you sound you sound chipper today. You feeling chipper? Yeah, you know, I think the future the future of poker remains bright. Everyone keeps saying that it's dying, but you know, there's there's still some good games out there. That's what I'm hearing. I get to play some poker today. It's exciting. I've been unfortunately finding less time to play. And here in New York, at least, I've been finding that the games are not quite as good. I mean, it's sort of a, you know, it's a bad set of circumstances. I'm busier. The games are not as good. Uh, and the subway is terrible. Terrible vibes on the subway compared to the past. Uh, typically, I, you know, my typical routine is I take the train two games and I Uber home. And yeah, taking an Uber is two ways, especially like the way there is pretty expensive uh, just because of time of day and traffic. So, so yeah, I, it's, it's caused a reduction in volume as just the EV of going to various games, you know, moves below the threshold of how I'm willing to value my own time. You know, at this point, I really just, I do enjoy the game, but mostly I'm playing to make money. And so I have a certain amount that I require in expectation in order to get out of the house. Uh, you know, I have, there's an opportunity cost to not be able to do other things. And that's risen over time. And so, yeah, I've just found myself playing less, but I'm going to play today. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and hopefully it'll be a good game. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, sometimes playing less poker, like, makes the times you do play a bit more enjoyable, I find. Like a lot of things in life. Yeah. Anyway, we have a a five ten hand, which is fun for us, uh, because you know, I would say most of the hands that are sent our way are one, two, two, three. That's great. But it's nice to play against a different player pool on the podcast here and there. So this is coming from Canterbury Park. I believe is in Minnesota, but maybe I'm misremembering. Roughly 5 p.m. on a Saturday, 5.10. And I believe that this game actually happened pre-corona, if you can imagine that. Wow, uh, a, di- a different world. I know. Hero writes that this is a very good game. Two big spots, two weak regs. Uh, Villain is a solid tournament player, about 25 years old. With an online background who game selects the survivors and is winning in this lineup. Uh, so this is like a survivor tournament, it looks like. Uh, I think that's how they do a lot of the cash games where it's like basically like a single buy-in table. So like everyone buys in for let's say like a thousand dollars into a uh well actually let me let me pause my description because I think we're about to get a description from Hero. And that'll probably be a better description than what I can muster uh, from my recollection. So we, we learned about the 25-year-old solid tournament player who's winning in this lineup. Uh, he's friendly with Hero, who is a 33-year-old generic white dude. We get a lot of generic white dudes writing into this show. A lot of people who just see themselves as being a generic white dude. Come on, guys. Like, you're not generic. You're special. <laughs> no. Don't look at yourself like that. Anyways, uh, this generic white dude is a reg in the game. Uh, and villain seems unlikely to reload 
since he had to Venmo another player at the table to get cash for his buy-in. I guess this is not the first hand we've talked about from this player. Uh, he writes, since you discussed the mechanics of survivor tournaments a little on my last hand, the survivor buy-ins work kind of like rebuy tournaments. You pay the full rake, $15 an hour in advance, most often three hours long. You can reload any time you're at or below starting stack and take a $10 fee each time you add chips. And as a result, many players start 200 big blinds deep as was the case for both me and villain in this hand. Yeah, so it's a cash game, but it's a tournament. Pretty silly, but nice workaround. Kudos to Canterbury Park for thinking of this way of skirting some really silly regulations. All right, any thoughts on our opponent or our um, self-image? Well, I, I want to try and bluff him, you know, in the marginal spots. I just think he'll be a bit less likely to go with it if he's going to have to ask someone else to Venmo money again. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good idea. And um, yeah, maybe we fold a little bit more with our bluff catchers too. Yeah, young and poor, who is like a solid player, good person to bluff. Especially, you know, when we're perceived maybe to be someone that, you know, that's not really the reason he's here to play in this game. So I, I like the, the instinct that we should be much more willing to bluff against this player than we are against a lot of other players in the field. So they'll had $2,100, hero covered. And this was pre-corona, so it didn't take notes on them, but the blinds were both 100-plus big blinds. So it folds to Hero, who opens to $35 with Queen-Jack of Hearts in the cutoff, and Button, who is our villain, three bets to $100. And it folds to us. I mean, uh, yeah, this is a pretty clear call, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, you know, we have a... We have a suited Broadway hand, and it's cut off first button. And, you know, our opponent might be three-betting some extra hands. Um, you know, I yeah, I, I wouldn't really consider a four-bet just because our blockers aren't that great. I'm not saying, like, it couldn't make money here, but, you know, I it's... I don't know. You're you're risking a lot there. And um, yeah, I, I just want to continue with this hand through a call. Yeah, I think against a tournament player, we have a pretty clear continue. I do think, you know, there are some opponents where even a hand this strong, if you're up against a range of like tens plus and ace king, not really feeling compelled to call. But yeah, I, I don't think that's likely here. So I think we have enough equity to proceed, I think we have enough ability to, you know, get money back from this pop. But you know, I will say like, it's a it's a it's a tricky hand because you're just you're you're dominated a lot, and it's not, you know, there's not a ton of boards that are advantageous for us where we have a lot of coverage. But I do think we can play somewhat aggressively on like you know, boards that have like a 10 and a nine or a 10 and an eight. Those are boards that are going to play pretty well for us. So we have enough going on here. I I think call is pretty standard and I like it. 
but yeah, I'm, I'm not just like so, so thrilled just because we have a hand that, you know, is pretty. I would much rather not be facing a three bet. So flop is jack of spades, six of clubs, three of spades. So we flop top pair. There is a flush draw on board. We do not have any possible flush draw. So hero decides to check and we face a bet of $120 into $215. Don't think there's that much to be said about anything but call here personally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hands playing itself so far. So good far, work. so good. Good work well, from very our, well done. Uh, our listener. Yeah. All right. The turn is the seven of clubs. So five, four is now a straight and there are two flush draws on board, spades and clubs. Hero checks, villain bets 375 into 455. I mean, how it's, this is the part where we can start asking, I guess, like how poor do we think this guy really is? Um, but like, I don't know. There, there are six, 16 combos of ace-king that can take this line, and then, what, like 12 combos of aces and kings, and uh, I guess three more combos of pocket-queens, something like that. So, yeah, I've, I want to keep calling here. Um, I don't really think there's a case for, for raise. We're, yeah, we're kind of just bluff catching at this point. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's time to start counting combos. It's about that time in the hand where <laughs> we can start to think about, all right, what are the bluffs we would need our opponent to have? And how likely is it that they have those bluffs? So the hands that we can be pretty sure our opponent has are Jacks, queens, kings, and aces. One combo of jacks, three of queens, six of kings and aces. So we've got 16 combos right there. We're facing 375, but you know our, our effective odds are such that we're probably going to have to call a river bet a fair amount of the time against this range. So, you know, I, I think it would be a mistake. You know, we, we can't actually just think about, like, what are our odds here on the turn? Because this board is more likely to get worse for us than better. And when it stays the same, we're going to face a lot of bets from that same range of hands. So, you know, how do we exactly say what our effective odds are? You know, the odds across, you know, the street we're facing now and, the you know, the bets we're going to face on the turn. It's a really complicated question because we can we can improve as well. We can turn a queen or a jack and potentially face continued aggression in a spot where we'll win a big pot uh, a lot of the time. And sometimes our opponents will check back with an overpair when a flush draw comes in. Sometimes our opponents will give up with bluffs. But I think we should, we should treat this spot as if the decision we're making right here is really... It's kind of like, I think the easiest way to approach these spots is, you know, yes, we'll call and fold, call now, fold the river sometimes, 
but we shouldn't do it that often. And we should really probably be thinking about this spot as like, what's, what are our effective odds across these next two streets? And it's, it's bigger than the bet you're facing now on average. So, you know, the pot is 455. And if, if, if we're treating this as a call for something like around like $600, which maybe is on the low end, then, you know, how many bluff combos do we need our opponent to have? It's probably something on the order of like 12, if those continue or significantly more, if there are significantly more that give up or, or continue, then it just makes our, our life better. But if we think that our opponent is going to be sort of continuing at a similar ratio of plus to value on the river, just typically a good assumption, even though it's not theoretically incentivized, then I think that's a good way of approaching this spot. So James, Still name, <laughs> let's name like the 10 most likely bluff combos. Ace-King. I mean, Ace-Queen could be in here. Um, but do you think sure. Ace-King of Diamonds plays like this? I mean, I I would play some Ace-King of Diamonds like this, but some people might mix it up um, and like only bet when they have one of the suits. So like if you have a club or spade in your hand, something like that. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is just a dangerous board to like be doing a lot of bluffing on. Yeah, I mean, if we, if we have like um, the offsuit, like if our king and jack, or sorry, if our ace and king aren't matching the jack, like then we block more jacks from our opponent, you know, which could be a reason to continue with those hands. Yeah, I guess the way think they're calling like ace jack offsuit, you know. Yeah, I think this is a board where. Now, this turn card that brings a flush draw and isn't very threatening. When we're in button spot, I think it can be hard to get a jack to fold. I think it's not so easy to get like 10 through 8s to fold. I don't think we can get like nut flush draws to fold. I don't think we can get combo draws to fold. So there are, we can get some pairs to fold. We can get some draws to fold. But. Yeah, I just, I'm not seeing a ton of folding happening, so I wouldn't be surprised to see some of those ace-king combos check back. Yeah. But... I think an important question to ask is, is our opponent taking this line with ace-queen or ace-jack? You know, I, I think that's a, like, how, how wide is the... And three flop three, but yeah, yeah. Because um, I, you know, I think we agree that there's all the over pairs, and then some amount of ace king, and then yeah. How much? How many? How wide is this initial three bet? Yeah, I mean, I think what's nice about this spot for us is that how wide our opponent is three betting. It's not actually going to be like a, a really huge consideration it just by the nature of the board. And here's what I mean. As our, we start to see like ace Queens and ace jacks, that's 
like more value and more bluffs. Yeah. So king, if king, queen, and ace, jack in the range, okay, there's more value, there's more bluffs. If like suited connectors are in the range, okay, seven, six, uh, five, four, that's more value. Five, six, you know, it's another possible bluff. Ace, four, ace, five, I guess are possible. You know, I, I'm, I'm making a case for folding, but actually, I mean, I think we should call on a two flush draw board. You know, I don't think it's inconceivable that fold is best here, but I think the standard play should be the call because I just, I, I, I agree with you that a lot of ace king and ace queen just can find bluffs here. If we're just looking at combos that have the ace of spades and ace of clubs, that would be four, 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 and four of ace king and ace queen. So 16 combos. And so that's already you know a one-to-one ratio. And those have some non-trivial equity against us, but we also have equity against the overpairs. And as things get wider, like value gets added, but bluffs get added at a slightly faster rate. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think with our price, even though our price is worse than it looks because we're out of position, on the turn with a hand that you know gets relatively worse, I think more often than it gets relatively better. You know, we're, we're, our effective odds are not great, but I, I like call. Uh, what do you consider? I don't play tournaments, but if you're like in a yeah, if you're in a tournament, have you ever fold this spot since it's a bit murky and you know getting like a little bit close to the bubble or something? I just don't think we can really make the comparison. Yeah, yeah, we would need a lot more information, and it would just be unlikely that we would be this deep at that time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not, maybe it's not a very useful question since there can be so many variables. Yeah, tournaments are just really situation driven. I mean, so is cash, obviously, but there's just, I would say the difference is sort of that in tournaments, there's more factors, and in cash, there's more play in any particular hand. So you're making more complex decisions in tournaments. You're making more decisions in cash games, so yeah, I don't, I don't think you can necessarily just translate a spot from one to the other because your set of factors is different. Anyways, you know, I don't, I don't feel great about it, but on two flush drop boards with top pair, I'm blocking a lot of bluffs. Uh, I just don't really make a habit of folding, so I would go ahead and call. And it sounds yeah. like we're in agreement. Yeah, looks good to me. So. We can maybe talk about this hand a little bit more. Like, what would you do in various river situations? But what actually happens is Hero decides to shove for $1,500 more. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think I understand the instinct. It's, it's sort of an equity denial shove where maybe maybe we can get some overpairs to fold. And I think if you can start getting some overpairs to fold, then it gets the spot gets interesting. 
but I guess I just think that like it's not quite threatening enough of a board for you. I honestly think it's a it's a totally different world on like Jack eight seven four. I mean, it's obvious it's a different world because there's now two straights that are possible, and there's a more two pair maybe. Yeah, you're just you're you're more likely to have these combinations. You can fold five four suited preflop, perhaps, but yeah, having like having something like eight likely straight combos and three likely two pair combos, number of sets, like, your range just starts to look much more threatening, such that you can turn queen jack kind of into a bluff where you block some of your opponent's strong hands like queens in a set of jacks. Uh, that would be especially effective against an opponent who is actually a fairly tight three better. Uh, and if, if that's your read on this player, then I like it. On, on this board, I'm concerned. I still don't hate the idea of turning our hand into a bluff, but in a way I'd rather have like six, five or like, Jack X of clubs, just just a hand that has slightly more equity when you get called. Because Queen Jack, I think almost any time you get called, it's just not a great situation. The nice thing is your, your opponent really, I don't think, can call you with like Ace King of Spades or anything like that. It's just too bad of a price. So Yeah, with with like Queen Jack of Clubs or something, this could be interesting. Just because, well, I mean, we'll still have a lot more, we'll have a lot more equity, like when called. And, you know, it does, like, if our opponent is doing this with all, like, ace king combos, you know, I think it starts to become a little bit better. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Overall, I just want to call and, like, try and retain bluffs um, from our opponent. Yeah, I, I, I don't like the shoves. Yeah, I'd have to think about it more. It, it's, it is a play that really interests me because I do think it's a spot where it's not inconceivable or it's not so unlikely that we can get over pairs to fold. And when that's the case, there, there starts to be the ability for us to just make like kind of obscene amount of money from just the percentage of the time that we're actually just winning the pot here uncontested. 1500 is a little bit deep where I, I think it's kind of serving as like more of a tax when you're wrong than is, I don't think you need that much behind in order to get folds from players who will fold here. I think if you had like 1200 behind or 1200 additional, that is, that would be, like a more advantageous kind of stack depth. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't have a ruling here. I don't. I don't despise any action here in the turn. I don't hate fold. I don't hate call. I don't hate shove. I think I lean towards call because I think it's very safe, and I don't mind being safe in spots where I don't feel strongly about one decision or the other. But yeah, I, I think it's an interesting spot. I like the thought. And I, I'm sure your opponent didn't expect you to do this, which that's always nice. 
Yeah. What, um, do you have a result? I do, but first, if you were in villain's shoes here, yeah. And let's say you're, you're playing against a player who's like a reg in the game, one of the better players. Yeah. And you face I'm, this shove for like $1,500 more. I'm, I'm just calling my overpairs like good game. If you flopped a set, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wait, what, what's, the, turn... what's the price we're getting? Uh, so villain, what? would be, you would be calling $1,500 to win, I guess, $4,200 total. Yeah. Was... So you're getting like 2 point, or sorry, 1.8 to 1. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe like, maybe occasionally if I have like the... Um, Aces with the ace of uh, whatever the the flush draw on the flop was. Like the double anti-blocker aces? Yeah, maybe the double anti-blocker aces. That one hits the muck. Um, But, I mean, like, you know, I I bought into the 510 game. I I expect players to be bluffing me occasionally. So, yeah, I'm happy to, to... to see the set here. I think that's that's good advice in terms of like, you know just how you're approaching this spot. Like the the equity denial aspect works both ways where it's just really transparent that there's a lot of draws on this board. And so there's a lot of incentive to be the one to put in the last bet, which means that you just have to like hold on a little bit more with relative top of range. And so if you're not getting overpairs to fold from James, maybe you're getting overpairs to fold from this guy, but you know, it sounds like, I mean, you're, you're, you've got at least one person who's saying that they wouldn't fold. I would have a tough time in this spot. I don't know. I think I probably call because I just don't really fold on two flush drop boards in these situations, but I felt better about other spots <laughs> than calling with like kings here. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I do think I. I'm guessing I call. So, so I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter. But like, what are we calling with? Like, just pocket jacks. Like, I mean, I don't, you know, it, it's more important what our opponent's strategy is. But like. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, for what it's worth, I don't think we're getting red aces to fold. The question is, can we get, like, you know, queens to fold? Can we get, like, kings or aces with one spade? Mm-hmm. Like, one club to fold? Uh, yeah, I would be surprised if we could get red aces to ever fold here. So I think we can have a strategy where we are calling some overpairs and not others. And that would be defensible. And I also think we, you know, we can look at these spots and understand that when our opponent has the goods, they virtually all rivers are easy calls. And so there's not as much incentive to fast play value. There is from a denial perspective, but just from a, avoiding situations where you no longer can make profitable decisions. 
I don't think that's really a concern. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think call is best. I don't really like Ray's. I like Ray's better with... I think Ace King gives up on the river a lot of the time. I mean, maybe not, but... Yeah, it's one of these spots where I think Ace King can start to feel like it might just be good on a number of rivers. So I really wouldn't be shocked to see Ace King check back, which helps us, you know, when we're playing through the call line. Those hands also just river us, though, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. well, the results are we got called by Kings and we lost. Yeah. Let's, let's hear some more from Hero. So Hero writes, obviously this was ambitious. Villain is, much, is pretty much capped at an overpair, one combo of a set. Hero has all the sets 7-6 suited and blocks top set. Villain has a ton of two barrels that are going to make my life terrible. I can't call down against him on most rivers. He has at least all the following in clubs or spades. Ace, four, ace, five, ace, queen, ace, king, king, queen. I'm hoping villain can fold some overpairs, and I think this villain is both capable of and incentivized to. I guess that's just where basically our disagreement is. I, I think James and I don't see, see that villain is necessarily incentivized to fold overpairs here. Although I agree that they're, I agree that people are capable of folding overpairs here, which is why I find the play at least somewhat appealing. Hero writes, Red Kings is, well, well, let me, let me also just say like, you, I don't know if I agree with the, you know, the statement that you can't call down against him on most rivers. Most rivers are not going to be a club or a spade. And a lot of those rivers are going to be spots where you're going to face a lot of checks. So I don't, I don't think that's quite enough to say that you can't call. And I would just say, go ahead and like put pen to paper and figure out what has to be the case for you to actually not be able to call on and on what rivers. And then you can make your own decision about whether you think that this qualifies as a spot where, you know, on river X, you can't call, but also understand what that means. Like if you can't call, then how often are you facing checks? And those are, that's basically the, the kind of work you have to do to get a really good approximation of what's happening and what you should do in this spot. So here it continues. Red Kings is probably one of the best hands to call down with. And this villain is definitely suit aware. So I'm not sure how much this call speaks to my decision to shove. I think it's a good point. You know, sometimes we get really good feedback. Sometimes we don't. This is a time where we don't. Like I said, I wouldn't expect red aces or red Kings to fold. And so, yeah, you might, this might be winning. You might be winning. Uh, but I think probably the main thing is you're underestimating call. You're maybe overestimating how often your opponent should fold uh, because you have a lot of these like strong hands that your opponent doesn't have, but at the same time, you have a ton of bluffs and there are a ton of bluffs to be had on this board. So I would just be careful with how far you take that. Hero wraps it up by saying it was probably just spew when I have a bunch of natural bluffs and I decided to turn top hair into one. I wouldn't call it spew because, you know, whenever your natural bluffs make sense, like you're turning some of your bluff catches into bluffs, it's never going to be that far behind. But yeah, I think James and I both prefer call on the turn. Yeah. Maybe um, I didn't say this explicitly before, but 
like maybe this guy who um you know had to get money from his friend like i think he's not bluffing river as much which is part of why i like call turn more yeah um yeah i i think yeah i was kind of intuiting that but um just kind of realized that a bit more now but yeah you know i you know i agree it's not it's not the end of the world and you know it's possible that this is printing against certain opponent types that's a good point i also think you know what's do we have the image of someone who always has it it's a it's another important question to ask yourself and it sounds like you know we're a reg we're young and so we're not going to be perceived to be someone who never bluffs even though i think like there should be a lot of spots where you never bluff, and I'm sure there are. But most really, most players just won't look at you that way. Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm glad we talked about this hand because I think, you know, we we often get to these spots where it's like we're thinking, should we do A or B? And we can forget that C is also an option that's important to consider. Uh, and so I'm glad we got a hand where we had a conversation about A and B. Should we call or fold the turn? Then all of a sudden our correspondent throws a C and we have to kind of grapple with that. And I think we found, you know, some merit in it, uh, even though ultimately we decided that it's probably not what we would want to do in those spots. So thank you very much for sending us this hand, uh, which, you know, it's not always easy to hear or to share a spot where you sort of turn top hair into a bluff and then end up 21 hundred dollars poorer than you were at the beginning of the hand. Uh, so kudos for, for sending us that. We look forward to checking out some more hands that you play once you get back to the felt uh, post-COVID. Yeah, I think, yeah, maybe I was a little harsh initially, but um, I think it's good to be able to, you know, to think outside the box. And a lot of players aren't doing that. So that might be like, uh, it's important to explore to find out where where your edge will lie there. Yeah, it it was yes. A lot of it a lot of the reasoning was good. I would actually say, you know, the main thing to check out would just be looking more at the calling side of the tree and trying to figure out exactly how these spots are likely to play out. because uh, these boards are important to get right because a lot of money tends to go in the pot. All right, James, thank you for joining me. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you guys again next week.